Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for bringing us together this morning. And you are worthy of it all. And Lord, we're going to see exactly why you're worthy of it all this morning in your word. God, open our hearts. Forlay our hearts with your word this morning. Teach us. Instruct us. Let us continue in an atmosphere of worship as we receive from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. Starting a new book this morning. The book of Hebrews. So turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews. And um, we're only going to be looking at the first three verses. This is an introduction to the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews, we know it was written before 70 AD. The temple in Jerusalem uh, was destroyed in 70 AD. Hebrews makes no reference to that, so we date it before that time period. There's, uh, the author is in question. Some believe it was Barnabas. Uh, some people believe it was Paul. But the purpose of the book of Hebrews is it was written to Jewish believers in the first century. And, what the, and this, the point, the driving theme of this book is to show them uh, the supremacy of Christ over the Old Testament. So guys, hang on. As I said in the email, sink or swim, we're diving in. This is going to be an awesome study that's going to cause your faith to grow deep. Deep in the Word and deep in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. This week, I think it was Monday or Tuesday. Well, first off, I got I to give you a testimony from what the Lord has done in my life this weekend. Yesterday morning, I woke up and I was in pain. I got up and I was like this. I was like, oh, my goodness, just get me to the bed. My back was hurting so bad, I couldn't hardly move. I was like, man, I might need to call Pastor Steve, see if Pastor Steve can come preach for me um, this morning, or Pastor Dan, or one of those guys. And I just felt the Lord telling me, David, trust in me, pray to me, I am the God that heals. And I was like, okay, Lord, in my pain, Lord, please bring healing to my body. Please give me the ability to be able to teach tomorrow morning, because this is such an awesome passage, but I'm in pain and I'm hurting. This morning, I feel great. I feel great. I'm not going to test it now, and I'm going to go see the doctor this week to make sure everything's good, but I feel great this morning. And I was like, wow, God, you are awesome. Praise the Lord for that. But going back to this week, it was Monday or Tuesday. You can go on my Facebook page and look and see what day I posted it. But Monday, I've been looking for an old buddy of mine. His name is Tim Rule. He lives in Massachusetts. We were on the USS Eisenhower together, 92 to 93. And I led him to Christ. I led him to Christ. And uh, I met him. I talked with him. I shared Jesus with him. I took him to church. And it wasn't the second or third time we went to church. He surrendered his life to Christ. And he gave his life to the Lord. And I found him. And, I, and if you go on my Facebook page, you'll see a picture of me and Tim on the Eisenhower with our Bible in hand, getting ready to go off to church. But this week, when I finally found him on Facebook, I, uh, before our friend requested him, I sent him a message. I said, were you on the Eisenhower from 1992 to 93? And it's sin. And then a couple hours later, I looked. And, it, and I got a response back to him. It was all bold cap letters. OMG, you led me to Jesus. <laughs> and yeah, that was his exact response. And uh, so I got to reconnect with my friend Tim. And it was a very simple, it wasn't a lot of work on my part. 
It wasn't a lot of work. I shared the gospel with him that Jesus died on the cross for his sins, that he needed a Savior, he needed the Lord, and he gave his life to Christ. And praise the Lord, he's still, still, still serving God today. But in a lot of cases, when you witness to someone, it's not always like that. Have you ever witnessed to someone, shared the gospel with them? They just kind of give you that deer, deer in the headlight look like, huh? What? You know, they just kind of give you that look like, you know, it doesn't seem like it's glorious good news to them. Or it just kind of, they hear it, but then it bounces off and it make, it's no effect. Why is that? Why do people not see the same thing that you and I see in Christ Jesus? Simply put, it's because they don't understand what you and I are going to look at this morning. You and I are going to look at what makes Jesus magnificent, what makes Jesus great, and what makes Jesus, what makes people want to surrender their life to him. This is a, this is a reason why a lot of people in the church live compromised Christian lives. Because they, hear me out, because they don't understand what we're fixing to look at. And what we're fixing to look at, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, as I said in my email this week, it is the greatest passage of Scripture that describes who Jesus is in his fullness. You know, Jesus is God, yes. Jesus died on the cross, yes. He rose from the grave, yes. He is Lord, yes. But he is so much more. And when you understand everything the New Testament teaches about Jesus, you will worship him. When you understand everything about Jesus, you will surrender your life to him. You'll be like, yes, he is worthy of it all, and I want to live my life for him, and ain't nobody getting in the way. When you understand everything the Bible says about Jesus, people blaspheme God's name, and they, they use Jesus' name in a derogatory way, and it's because they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand how big and how awesome and how magnificent Jesus is. So my question to you this morning, are you ready this morning to understand how great and how magnificent Jesus is? Yeah. All right, let's dive into it. Hebrews chapter 1, verse, let's, let's read the passage and we'll go through it. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many, many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And the title of my message this morning, as you see it on the screen, is The Supremacy of Christ. What makes him great? When you understand all seven of these principles of who Jesus is, you'll have no problem bowing your knee. You'll have no problem saying, yes, Jesus, you are Lord, and I give my life to you because you are worthy of it all. I see the supreme value of who you are. You're more than just a carpenter, as Josh McDowell would say. You're more than just a man who lived 2,000 years ago. You're the exalted Lord of the universe. So let's take, let's take a look at it. Verse 1. We're really going to dig deep when we get to verse 2, but let's look at verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. First thing I see there in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 1 is we know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Each New Testament epistle starts with Paul, an apostle, or Peter. 
What does it say there in verse 1? God. God wrote the book of Hebrews. There's, there's no mystery behind it. There's been volumes of books written on the book of Hebrews and who the author is. It is the Lord. It is the Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice what it says there. God after he spoke. God speaks. Are you listening? God speaks in the world today. Are you listening? Psalm chapter 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night under night they display knowledge. He speaks and he's hollering to, throughout the whole world and to us today through creation. When you go outside and you look up at that beautiful blue sky, that is God showing you his glory, the glory of creation. He speaks through his word. Millions of pulpits around the world today preaching and teaching the scriptures. God speaks through the pulpit when his word is presented. But it says God spoke long ago to the fathers. You know, God is speaking, but it says he spoke long ago to the fathers. How did he speak to Moses? Exodus chapter 3. He spoke through a burning bush. So he, spoke, he speaks and he's spoken and he speaks in different ways. How did he speak to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19? Through a still, quiet voice. How about Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6. Y'all know, know what happened there. That's the heavenly vision. He spoke through Isaiah through a heavenly vision. Throughout all the prophets of the Old Testament, he spoke to them about one central theme. And that theme that the, uh, he spoke to the prophets was Jesus, the Messiah. What did, what did he say to Moses concerning the Messiah in Genesis 3.15? He says that, that, that Jesus would crush the serpent's head, that he would destroy the works of Satan at the cross. That's what he told Moses in the Pentateuch. How about Micah, Micah 5.2? He told, he, told, he told the prophet Micah, he says, my Messiah will be born where? In Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. Prophecies scattered throughout the whole entire Old Testament of God speaking to them and revealing who his son is. Because Jesus is the icon to the world of how God has spoken, how God has revealed himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke to Isaiah in Isaiah 7.14, and he said the Messiah would be what? Born of a virgin. He spoke to David in Psalms 22. It gives, in, in Psalms 22, David gives us graphic details of what happened at Calvary of what happened at the cross. The gospel of Jesus Christ is in the Old Testament. It, it was in the, the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the Messiah. In the, in the New Testament, we're looking back at the Messiah, and we're looking back at what he did. But my point is, in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 1, it says, God after he spoke. God is not silent. God is not silent. His voice thunders around the world today. It thunders through creation you know, every night, you're not looking up at the night sky. You know that, right? The earth is orbiting, and you're getting this panoramic view of the universe and all the stars and all the heavens. That is God showcasing his glory to you. Hit that sun during the daytime and, and the blue sky and the beautiful flowers and trees and all creation. It is God speaking to us. And then that, and we call that, um, we call that general revelation. That's general revelation that he shows to all men. But then there's special revelation. And spe special revelation is what you're receiving this morning. Special revelation is, is the scriptures. 
Is God's word being communicated to us? Again, I ask you, are we listening? Are you listening? Listen to his voice. Listen to him speak through creation. Listen to him speak through his word because he is not silent. He wasn't silent four or 5,000 years ago. He wasn't silent 2,000 years ago. He's not silent today. He is alive and well, and he's speaking loudly, and he's speaking clearly. Now, let's move into verse 2. Verse, verse 2, this is, the, this is the meat and potatoes of my message this morning. And my question to kick it off is this. Do you understand the magnitude of who Jesus is? Let's, let's look at it. Let's look at who Jesus is. It says in verse 2, In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir, heir of all things. The first principle, the first principle I present to you this morning of who Jesus Christ is, is right there in verse 2. He is the heir of all things. He is the heir. What is the heir? Heir is one who receives property. One who receives an inheritance. In our world today, for most of us, you know, when a parent passes away, they, they give all their property to their children. It's when, it's when they delegate and they, they give their stuff. Sometimes people pass away, sometimes people don't pass away before they give away their inheritance. But it's what's given out as a property, as, as ownership. And the Father, God the Father, has given everything to his Son, Jesus Christ. Listen to Psalms chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. It says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and look at it, I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Do you see the supremacy of Christ? He's given him the, uh, the nations as his inheritance. He's given him the earth as his possessions. And then it continues in Psalms 24.1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all those who live in it. Look at what the earth is. Everything. Everything is what the scripture says in Psalms 24.1. Everything in it in the world, all who live in it. The, the earth that you are walking on belongs to Jesus. The air that you are breathing right now, that was Jesus' air. This is his world. This, this, this is his world. And not only is this world his, but the universe. The universe that's endless in every direction around us. It all belongs to King Jesus. Because the Father, as it says in Hebrews chapter, two, uh, chapter 1 verse 2, is what? He's made him an heir of all things. He's given it all to him. The question I ask you this morning is this. The universe belongs to Jesus. The earth belongs to Jesus. Everything belongs to Jesus. Do you belong to Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? And say, Lord, you own all that. I want you to own me now. I want to surrender my life to you. That's what him being the heir is. He's the owner of everything. Look at the uh, next one in verse 2. The next one, verse 2, says, Through whom he made the world. The author here is talking about Jesus, okay? Through whom he also made the world. The second uh, truth concerning who Jesus is and what he's accomplished is this. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator of the heavens and the earth. 
uh, listen to John, the Gospel of John and Paul in Colossians. John says in John 1, 1 through 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was what in verse 2? He was with God in the beginning. Jesus was there at creation. Okay? We have an eyewitness account of the events of creation. Not only God the Father up in heaven, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Co-eternal with the Father. We believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Trinity. And they were all there at creation, including the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the creator. And then Paul goes on to say in Colossians, he says, For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things, there it is. Look at it, all things. You know what the word all means? It means all. It means all things, everything. All things have been created through him and for him. So even in Colossians 1.16, he's showing, he's establishing that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the lowly carpenter, who lived 2,000 years ago, walked the streets of Galilee, born of a virgin, lived a sinless, perfect life, went to Calvary. He is the creator of the universe. How awesome is that? Everything has been made by Jesus. Is, is, are we starting to elevate our view of him now? Are we starting to understand how great and how magnificent he is? Everything is made by him. The universe was made by Jesus. Life was made by Jesus. All that is was made by Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet many believe, unfortunately today though, many believe that man emerged out of some primeval slime. They believe man just evolved. He just happened by chance. It was just a, a cosmic accident, some spark hit a mud puddle and caused a chemical reaction and out of that all life came. A man whose heart, your, whose heart, your heart, beats 800 million times in a normal lifetime. A man or woman whose tiny cubic half-inch section of the brain cells contains all the memories of a lifetime. A man who possesses the miracle of seeing, smelling, hearing, and loving all those intricacies that God has given us because we were created by him and we didn't come from a monkey. Don't forget the supernatural miracle of life. A man and his sperm coming together with a woman and her egg. And what does it do? It produces what? The miracle of life. If you believe that happened by chance, or if anybody believes that happened by chance, they need to put away their bong and Cheetos and go outside and breathe some fresh air. I mean, this, is, this ain't rocket science. This, this, is, this is, I can reason with my own brain and my own mind and my own eyes looking at you guys and looking at me and how I'm created. You know, his evidence is all around that he is the creator. Where did all this come from? My friend, it is no accident. The Bible tells us who the maker is right there, and the maker is Jesus. Amen? So Jesus is our creator. Let's move into verse 3. I think I got seven of them. So let's look at number 3. Number 3 is in the very next. And by the way, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, this is a good introduction to the whole entire Hebrews because you're going to be studying this for the next six months. 
Because the book of Hebrews is Jesus is superior. Next week, we're going to look at, at angelology. Because if you continue into Hebrews chapter 1, he talks about angels. So we're going to learn a lot about angels. But the ultimate uh, truth for, of next week is we learn a lot about who angels are and what they do and what they're all about is we're going to learn this, that Jesus is superior to the angels. So we're going to see that. You're going to, Jesus is superior to the tabernacle. Jesus is superior to the old covenant. Jesus is superior to everything in the Old Testament. They were all just uh, fuzzy pictures of what was to come in Christ. That's next week, but let's continue verse 3. It says, He is the radiance of his glory. He is the radiance of his glory, the scripture says right there. What does this tell us about Jesus? Jesus is the revealer. Jesus is the revealer. That, that, that word radiance, what does the word radiance mean? Radiance is the shining that comes forth from a bright object. An example would be the sun. Do you know, nobody here has ever seen the sun. You look up in the sky, you think you're seeing the sun, but you're not. What you're actually seeing is the radiance of the sun. You're seeing the, the, the rays coming from the sun down to planet Earth. And those rays is the radiance of the sun. So the sun is the object. It's shooting down its rays to earth. Those, sun, those sunlight, those sun rays are the, are the radiance of the sun. And that's what the Bible says Jesus is to the, from, to the Father. The Father's up in heaven, and Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God shining down on the earth. He is the radiance. He is the light. He is, I don't know, he is light, the light coming from the sun and shining on this earth. Where does it shine to? Where does he desire for it to shine through? He designs for it to shine in our hearts. In our hearts. So we can understand him better. So we can know him better. So that we can have a personal relationship with him. He is the, Jesus is the shining forth of God. He is the revealer. It's verse 3. He came from heaven to earth, to shine for the glory of God. What does Jesus, being the radiance here, what is, um, what is Jesus revealing to us about God? What, what did he reveal to us in the Gospels when he lived this life? He reveals to us that, one, God, is the, God the Father, is, and as well as Jesus, because they're all working together, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but he's revealing to us that the Father is righteous and holy. He's righteous and holy. We see in the scriptures that the, the angels surround the throne and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he did not sin. He lived a sinless, perfect life because he was the radiance of the Father on the earth to, to, to show the righteousness of God, to show the, the holiness of God. But it doesn't stop there though, guys. He, he, did, he shows us the compassion of God. He is the radiance of God's compassion to the earth. He shows us compassion. He shows us grace. Despite our rebellious deeds, despite our rebellious hearts, he, shows, he doesn't show us what we deserve, which is judgment, but he shows us grace. And Jesus is the revealer of that. The ultimate thing that Jesus is when we talk about the radiance of of his glory, the radiance of the Father is this. Jesus reveals to us in, in the New Testament, in the gospel, that he desires to make your heart his home. That's, 
That's the summation of the gospel. Is the message of the Bible is a, the, from Genesis to Revelation is a is a story of reconciliation. It's a story of you're you're lost, you're fallen, you're a sinner, you're under God's wrath. And Jesus comes to this earth to forgive you of your sin, to put you in a right relationship with Christ, and to shine forth His glory into your heart. 1987, Graham Kendricks wrote a song. How many of you guys were believers back in the 80s? How many of y'all remember that song, Shine, Jesus, Shine? Shine, Jesus, shine. Anybody, anybody remember that one from Graham Kendrick? I don't want to sing it because y'all will start laughing because I'm not a very good singer. But it was shine, Jesus, shine. Let, let, let your glory be seen in all the earth. Shine in our hearts. And that needs to be our heart cry because Jesus is the revealer. And he's revealing himself to us today through the scriptures and by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's look at number four. Number four is this one. It's, it's found in the next statement. It says, and he is the exact representation of his nature. The exact representation. That's, that, that, that phrase means it's, he is the pinpoint representation of his nature. He told one of his disciples in John chapter 14, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it's this, Jesus is God. Jesus is deity. In Colossians 2.9, Paul says, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus Christ is, as Thomas said in John 20, he is Lord and he is God. Now, what does, that, what does that mean for you and I today? Well, first off, you have to confess him as Lord to be saved because Romans 10, 9 says you must confess through your mouth Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. But you, not only do you confess him as Lord, but you surrender to him being Lord of your life. And Jesus being God means that he's worthy of all your worship. He's worthy of all your worship. You know what worship is? Worship is... I, 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 I worship is how you live your life. Worship does take place within the body when we sing songs. That is, a, that is worship, that we're giving him all the glory when we're singing songs. But worship goes beyond that. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is, is how you live your life. Is how you live in your life, is it worshiping Jesus as the God of your life, as worshiping him as who he is, God. He's worthy of our worship because he is deity. He is God. As John said back in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So there, there's, there's no wiggle room either there. That's, that's, the difference between, that's, the, that's the difference between eternal damnation and eternal in and, and heaven. That's the difference between true teaching and false teaching. That's one truth that we don't wiggle on, that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is God. Because that's the, that's, there's 24 of the New Testament books uh, reference Jesus as not only Savior, but also Lord and God, and they attribute to him deity, and we hold firmly to that. So Jesus is God. Let's look at the next one. The next one there in verse 3. He says, and upholds all things, upholds all things by the power of his word. The next one I present to you. Look, where Jesus is 
hopefully in your heart and your mind, you're getting a more elevated view of Christ Jesus, is this. He, Jesus upholds and sustains everything. Everything that you see around you, he, he upholds and he sustains. He sustains the universe. He sustains the earth. How about your heart that's beating inside your chest? What's keeping you going? What's, keep, what's, what's the mechanism that's keeping you alive? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. What keeps the earth at its perfect tilt? What keeps it going around the sun? What keeps the universe from crumbling into pieces? Jesus. It says there, upholds, there's that word again, all. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And notice there, it says, it's by the word of his power. Again, the author of Hebrews is making reference to Jesus. He's making reference to Jesus. If the Lord Jesus Christ, if he let go of this universe for one second, one nanosecond, we would crumble. Can you imagine just everything just going to pieces and just disintegrating? That's what would happen if God let go of this world. 1968, I forgot her name, um, Mahala. Remember that song? Uh, He's got the whole world in his hands. How many of y'all remember singing that back in Sunday school? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. But he, so, that is so true. Not only does the scripture say God has the whole world in his hand, but it says specifically in our text this morning, Jesus has the whole world in his hands. He's the one that sustains everything. He's the one that will that causes everything to happen in the universe because he upholds and he sustains everything. This little meek and mild Jesus, no name, Jesus that people like to talk about, that people like to blaspheme his name, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is high and exalted. He's Lord, he's God, he's deity. He is God in the flesh. And let's look at the next one. This next one is good. It says, continuing in verse 3, we are, when he had made purification of sins. The next one, Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus, he died on the cross to address our greatest need. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Is it because I got a God-shaped hole in my heart? Is it because I could experience God's wonderful plan for my life? Or did he die on the cross so I could have love, joy, peace, and lasting happiness and ride off into the sunset and be happy in life? Is that the reason he died on the cross? No. No, my friend. I used to, that, that used to be my message. That used to be my message. Many, many years ago, many, many years ago, that used to be my message. I remember in 1998, 99, I wrote a paper on you have a God-shaped hole in your heart. And, 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 and the, the funny thing about that paper was I think I got 100 on the paper. And it was for, for a Bible class. But the Bible does not teach that we have a God-shaped hole in our heart. The Bible teaches that we have a sinful heart that needs forgiveness that we have a heart that's rebellious to the Lord. 
We, we, we have a heart that, that's in rebellion to him, that's in rebellion to his word. And what we need more than anything is, is, is forgiveness of sin. And it says right there in verse 3, he made purification of sins, referencing Jesus is our Savior. 1 John 2, 2 says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Before I came to Christ, I was not miserable. I, I was not miserable. I was not unhappy. I loved my sin. I enjoyed my sin. I was quite happy going along in life, living in my debauchery, living in my immorality. But it was once I came face to face that that way I was living was separating me from God and that I needed to be born again. And then all of a, then all of a sudden, I came to the gospel because I wanted forgiveness of sin. I was carrying the weight of my guilt on my shoulders. I was carrying the weight of my sin in my heart. I felt guilty. I remember every single night, I would lay down on my bed. Now lay me down to sleep. Pray, Lord, my soul keep Jesus' name. Pray, Amen. It was like this little Hail Mary prayer that I would send up thinking, okay, that, hopefully that'll keep me okay. But it wasn't. It wouldn't. It would not. I needed to repent and believe the gospel and put my trust in Jesus Christ. And this is what makes Jesus so great. This is what makes Jesus so magnificent. This is what makes Jesus so supreme is he addresses your greatest need. My greatest need, forgiveness of sin. Everything I'd ever done, all the evil, all the immorality, all the sin, guess what? It's washed away. It's washed away. No more guilt, no more condemnation, because I am in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus took the guilt. He paid the price for my sin at Calvary. He took on the wrath of God so that I would not be punished. It was placed on him, and Jesus gave me his righteousness. And I have a clean heart. He made purification of sins. That word purification is a reference to being clean, being washed. My friend, when you came to Calvary, when you came to Jesus, he washed you clean. And he didn't, he didn't leave anything behind, okay? He didn't leave anything behind, even your future failures. Even, even as you walk through this life and you work through your sanctification and you work through growing in Christ, he, he, he washed it all away. That's what makes him great. Who else is going to give you forgiveness of sin? Because sin's only against one. Sin is against God. So, so there's nobody here on earth than where we can find forgiveness of sin. You can't find forgiveness of sin in going to a box and confessing to another person your sin because your sin's not against that person. Your sin is against your creator. And Jesus does that. He provides us purification for sin and cleanses us. Everything, when I, the, when I step from time into eternity and I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the scripture teaches that Jesus is going to look to the Father and say, he trusted in me. He trusted in me. Father, I took David's sin at the cross. I, I paid the price. And the father's going to say, come on in. Welcome. 
good and faithful servant. Enter, enter, into, enter into heaven is what he's going to say. Because Jesus paid the price. My friend, do you esteem the sacrifice of Christ? Let's sit here for a second. Do you esteem the sacrifice that Jesus made at Calvary? And what I mean by the word esteem is, do you understand it? Do you, do you understand the full implications? As, as we get closer to Good Friday and Easter, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to look at the things that Jesus said on the cross, where he says, my God, my God, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus took on the, 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 the punishment, the wrath of God for the sin, for my sin that was against God. You know, in all those beautiful statements where he tells the, he tells the, uh, the prisoner, he says, surely, verily, verily, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. He teaches us so much at the cross. Because the cross is the cornerstone of, of the Christian life. It's where you can find complete forgiveness for everything you've ever done. You know, I think it's when the world understands who Jesus is and all his magnitude that they will come running. They will come running to the Savior when they understand that he's not just this ancient dude from Galilee that lived a long time ago and he's got a few good sayings here and there in the Bible. No, when they understand that he is Lord, he is God, he is the revealer, he is the Savior, and he sustains all things, that's what makes him so great and so powerful and so magnificent. And that is the key, my friend, to each and every one of you guys as a, as, as a Christian is embrace who Jesus is and all these facets that we're talking about this morning. And when you embrace each one of these, it will make you love him more. It will make you love him more. It will make you obey him more. It will make you want to follow him more instead of just this ancient historical figure that lived a long time ago. Let's look at the final one. The final one there in uh, verse 3. Um, I, I was tempted to say that, okay, we're saving the best for last, but they're all the best. <laughs> they're all great. And each one of these, you could just continue studying and looking what the, seeing what the New Testament says. But let's look at the final one in verse 3. He says, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What a magnificent statement. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is my final one this morning. And when it's talking about Jesus here, it's saying that Jesus is the exalted Lord. Uh, <clears throat> the phrase Lord is attributed to Jesus in 25, I said 24 a while ago, I meant 25, in 25 of the 27 New Testament books give this title to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was crucified, he was raised, and we talk a lot about that in the church. We talk a lot about um, his death on the cross and what took place there and what it means to us. And that's a beautiful, glorious thing to understand and embrace. And we talk about his resurrection from the dead and the truth that he did bodily raise from the dead. The historical fact is true. But a lot of times we'll stop right there Let's, let's look at this. Let's look at this aspect. He's, he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father. 
You know, there was a point in time before he was born, right before he was born, where the father looked to his son and said, it's showtime. And Jesus stepped out of heaven and came to earth. And he lived a sinless, perfect life, suffered and died on the cross, and he rose again. And now he's returned to his rightful place as Lord of the universe, seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11 says this, concerning him being exalted and being Lord. He says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When, when Paul uses that phrase, even he uses that phrase, he became obedient to the point of death, and then he inserts this, even death on a cross. The reason he inserts that phrase there at the very end was in the first century, man, to die on a cross, you were the crud of the earth. You were lower than dirt. Crucifixion it was, was created by the Persians, 4th century BC. It was perfected by the Romans, and, the, and crucifixion was meant to uh, inflict maximum pain and punishment. It was a political torture. It was, uh, you disobey Rome, it, it was a statement to all the people around. You disobey Rome, this is what will happen to you. And Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the heir of all things, was subjected even death on a cross. The, the lowliest form, uh, I swear, criminals, it was where the, where the crud of the earth were sent. You know, they weren't, they weren't, even, they weren't even worthy of a, of a proper burial or, or a proper uh, laying to rest. They were crucified. And then some were thrown to the dogs. Some of them were given back to the families for burial. But it was the worst way a person could die. Verse 9 in Philippians chapter 2. For this reason also, here it is, the Father, God, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word Lord in the New Testament it comes from the Greek word kurios. It means the ultimate uh, authority. The one who's in ultimate authority, the one who is the master, the one who is in charge of everything, the one that makes all the decisions, the one, the Lord in the first, in the first century it was, was the master, but it was the one in whom everyone's allegiance was to. To confess Jesus Christ as Lord in the first century likely meant a death sentence. As, as Paul is writing to the, the church at Rome in the book of Romans, he says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. But for a Roman citizen that day, to confess Jesus Christ is Lord could mean the death sentence. Because in that culture and in that day, there was one Lord and his name was Caesar. And to defy him, you would be put to death. But, but the word, he, he's the exalted Lord. He's the one who... He calls us to make him the one in whom our ultimate allegiance is to. So I present to you this morning, you examine your heart. I've examined mine this week. Is your allegiance to Jesus Christ? Is your allegiance to Jesus as Lord? You know, not on Sunday morning, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday 
is our allegiance to our Lord because he is our master. Have you confessed him as Lord, as Romans 10, 9 says, in order to be saved? Have you bowed your knee? You know, it's a good thing. I believe it's a good thing to, to bow down in, in your prayer closet in, during time of worship. It's, it's a good thing to physically bow your knee in worship and in, in, in wherever you're in, in, in the Christian life. It's, it's a good thing to, to bow your knee because one day nobody will have a choice. So let's do it now. Let's bow our knee before the king. Let's bow our knee before the Lord. Have you bowed your heart before him, to him? That's the ultimate. That's the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is, is this. Salvation is described, the, the process, of the, I won't say the process. Salvation, when a person gets saved, three things take place, the scripture says. Three words I use to describe salvation is receive, believe, repent. First, you must receive him as your Lord and Savior. You must invite him, saying, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Please come into my life. You must receive him. To all those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So there's a, there's a transaction that takes place where you invite him to come into your life. And then the next word, after, when you receive him, some people like to put these in an order. I like to say they, they just all come together at the same time. But, but receive, believe, repent. Second one is believe. The word believe means to trust. Okay? It's where you say, Lord Jesus... I put my trust in you. I, I, I no longer trust in my own good deeds. I, I no longer trust in my traditions, but I trust in Calvary. I trust in your work at the cross. That's what it means to believe. It means I believe that you died, you rose again, and that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, and that you are the exalted Lord. I believe that, and I trust you with all my heart. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. So you receive him, you believe him, and you repent. You say, God, I'm sorry for the past. I'm sorry for all my lawless deeds. I'm sorry for my life of rebellion against your word. I'm sorry for all my lying, my stealing, my adultery. I'm, I'm sorry for all my sin. Please forgive me. That's what repentance is. Repentance means you're living this way, and you make a U-turn. And not just making a U-turn from sin, but making a U-turn from sin to Jesus. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's, it's all three of those working together. It's receiving, believing, repenting. And that's what makes Jesus so great. That's what makes Jesus so superior. My friend, you understand these seven principles of who Jesus is I think, you'll find your, I think you'll find yourself in a better place. You'll find your, your Christian walk will grow when you understand these seven principles of who Jesus Christ is. And these are the seven principles that we will be talking about over the next six months, that he is how great and how magnificent he is. I believe that the, um, in our witness... And our witness in sharing the gospel with the unbelieving world. This is what they need to know. They need to understand that you're going to bow your knee whether you do or not in this life. Because one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. This is what people need to understand. And when, we have this, when you have this high view of Jesus, 
everything else takes care of itself. Everything else comes in alignment with the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, go home and meditate on this passage. Meditate on these truths. You know, I started the week off like, okay, I'm going to go through, I'm going to go chapter one, the whole chapter. And then a couple days into it, I was like, no, I'm going to do half of it. And by the, by the end of the week, as I'm bringing things together for my message, I got, I said, it's these three verses. It's three verses. But meditate on the scriptures. Meditate on the passage. And let these truths transform you and change you. Pray. Pray. And say, Lord, you got it in your Bible? Underline it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Go home and reflect on these awesome truths of who Christ is. And it will elevate your worship and your dedication to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this new journey we're beginning in the book of Hebrews. Father, I feel even in these words that we've spoken that they're still not enough. They're not enough, Lord, because words cannot describe how great you are and how magnificent you are. But Father, with your, the help of your Holy Spirit, I know we can get to a place. We can get to a place where we, where we see you in all your superiority. We see you in all your glory. Lord, and help each and every one of us this morning at Calvary Chapel Irmo to give us a desire and a hunger to move forward with this passion in mind, to know you in all your glory, to know you in your radiance, to know the power of the cross, to know that you are Lord, that you are Savior, that you are deity, that you uphold all things by the power of your word. God, let this sink in deep. And Father, if there be a believer this morning that's struggling, that's fighting, that's in the throes, I pray, Lord, that this message will have lifted them up and will have increased their faith. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.